0: Welcome to The Green Room, a space where leaders from the Austin Stone invite college students to have vulnerable conversations about relevant topics. All right, welcome to The Green Room. Man, we are so excited for this podcast to finally be here and drop. My name is MJ and I'm here with Tyler. And
1: man, Tyler, do you got any words for us, man? How excited are you? The level of excitement I'm experiencing right now cannot be contained by the room that we're in. <laughs> I, 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 this this episode in particular that we're about mm-hmm. to introduce, so good. Mm-hmm. I'm Shanda's wisdom and insight on this topic. I mean, th- I can't wait for people to hear it.
0: Yeah, me too. I, y'all, y'all are in for a treat today because we have Shanda Anderson. She is the director of clinical care at the Austin Stone Counseling Center, and she's been a licensed professional counselor since 2006. As someone who loves Jesus, is a professional, and loves college students, she's able to give us wise yet down-to-earth insight on the all-too-common struggle with anxiety, especially for college students. Well, not only
1: is she a professional counselor, for the last two hours, she has been our personal counselor. Amen. And I'm pretty sure we owe her an exorbitant amount of money because (laughs) that was an incredible counseling session for me, just to hear her process through what it means to trust Jesus in the midst of anxiety.
0: Yeah, and she talks a little bit about— what is anxiety versus what is fear? You won't hear it in this episode, but Tyler has this uh, fear of being on airplanes. I don't know if you want to.
1: Well, I mean, I, I like to put my dirty laundry out like that, but <laughs> the just the the idea that I'm going to be in a, Tube that's going 500 miles an hour, 30,000 feet above the air. I think everyone should be scared. If you're not scared, <laughs> you should. You're not thinking of what's happening. But again, Shannon's ability to help us parse through mm-hmm. all the different realities that we're going to go through as people, and how even even how your physical body and history, all those things, like she has actual framework from the scriptures for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really is hard to overstate how how helpful she was.
0: Yeah, guys, you're going to hear even our stories about how we've walked through times of anxiety or depression. And you're going to hear Shanda basically counsel us, give us a free counseling session. We hope we don't get a bill after this. But but also be advised, the following conversation is going to contain content about the topic of suicide. So in the episode and in the show notes, we have resources for you to help care for you and help you process through those things if you're struggling in any way, shape or form. So we hope that you have a good time listening to this episode and enjoy. Shanda, welcome to The Green Room.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's an honor.
0: I am so excited that you're here to kick off The Green Room podcast with us. And, man, there's so many things I want to ask you. There's so many things that I know college students want to know. I I, I remember watching this panel discussion where you and Tyler were on there, and I just remember Tyler just recommending you to literally everyone who was listening. So I'm sure you got—
1: I haven't given out Shanda's number more (laughs) than I'd like to admit. I don't even know if I'm supposed to do that, if that's legal, but I've done it.
2: Referrals are welcome. Uh, (laughs) We'll do our best. Yeah.
0: I remember hearing from that focus event that you were on is that you you focused on college students. Mm -hmm. And we know from just being downtown in the city of Austin Mm -hmm. that we have so many college students. And this is one of the biggest struggles for college students, just this subject of mental health, anxiety, mm-hmm. and all of that. Do you have like a favorite memory from your time in Denton or just working with college students in general? Like, is there is there something you just love about this demographic?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I will say my life is deeply impacted as a collegiate. Uh, that's where so much uh, of my heart uh, was taught about walking with Jesus through hard things. Uh, I lost a dear family member my senior year in high school. So entering into college, uh, my world was a little rocky and upside down. I didn't have the carefree, kind of careless, life is bliss, and I'm excited. My world was being rocked, and I was looking for answers. And though I grew up going to church, there were some new life dynamics that I needed help like reconciling who is this God. Mm. And so I went into my collegiate experience with a lot of questions, a lot of doubts, a lot of curiosities. And so I experienced what I would call discipleship for the first time. People Mm -hmm. who loved me, got to know me, let me be messy, didn't try to fix everything, but entered in, but entered in with hope and with truth and guidance. I, I would describe it as fall in love with God in the midst of the brokenness and understand his love more fully because of people who were willing to meet me there and Walk yeah. with me through it, and so I just gathered this huge heart to do for others what was done for me in this process of of discipleship. Because there's so many life changes that are happening in that collegiate experience or in, in that that e- those years of development and kind of forming who we are, our identity, yeah. uh, our view of the world, our view of obviously God and self and others, and ultimately what I what I hope is also a guide uh, that doesn't try to fix everything, but also offers a perspective that the world is not offering that I do believe has hope and guidance for a trajectory of adulthood in life that can actually handle life's difficulties that are going to come.
1: Was it that seminal moment of like, I want to help other people have this? Was that in college you had that where you, you were thinking that forward? Like in I, how you were experiencing those I moments? I
2: really—so my undergrad was elementary ed. I always wanted to be a, an influencer, a teacher, like a guide yeah. of some sort. But there was a point where, I mean, discipleship really captured my heart. I experienced that so beautifully. Mm. And and really, counseling is an element of discipleship. It's not the fullness of it, right? But it is aspects of entering in one-on-one with somebody and, and allowing them to wrestle you know, allowing them to encounter the difficulties. And I really did get a heart to sit in the messy dynamics of life with people because people did that for me, and it changed my life. Wow. And I, I am passionate about discipleship, which is part of the church, part mm-hmm. of the, you know, commission that we are called to. Um, but, but in this reality of, of counseling, I feel like it's a, a, a niche where the hurting people come, And uh, because of what God has done in my heart to anchor me in his hope, his promises, his truth, uh, I'm not afraid of the struggle in my own life, and I'm not afraid of the struggle in other people's lives. I really believe there's perspective that can be had in the midst of difficult circumstances. And I had people willing to hold their ground of confident truth that allowed me to struggle my way to find that solid ground for myself. And it's a it's a joy and honor, and if I'm excited about anything, I, I think it's it's watching God work in the lives of people, because He has the power to do what, as humans, we don't.
1: Can I, I can I ask real quick on that? I, yeah. I'm really fascinated by what you were saying because why why do you think people are so scared of that messiness? Like why why mm. do you because you because the yeah. thing you're emphasizing is there's something about wrestling in the mess with people that you need that sort of yeah. freedom to be messy. Yes. Why you've counseled more people than I can probably count. I'm curious what your insight would be why everyone kind of shies away from that. Because yeah. everyone needs it, but yet yep. somehow we shy away from it. So I'm just fascinated what, yeah. what your perspective would be on that.
2: Well, gosh, there's probably a lot of answers to that question. But you know, I, I do think we have a bit of a resistance for hardship Just humanity and flesh. We like—and I'm first in line for that. We want it to be easy. We like the ideal to play out. Um, But learning to embrace and accept the fact that that doesn't always happen and and then learning how to— navigate the difficulties that come. You know, I do think we live in a culture that kind of promotes ideals and promotes a bit of this perfection, and we can't help but kind of talk about social media, where you can literally have an app that'll change your appearance. <laughs> you just hit I, hit a button and your right. airbrush, and you put yourself out there in this ideal way. Uh, and, and so I think this idea of chasing perfection or chasing ease, chasing comfort, is unfortunately part of what our flesh longs for instinctively, but I do think it is a message of the world that is being offered and is setting us up for difficulty yeah. because life doesn't play out ideally because it's broken. We have to learn how to manage it. We have to learn how to walk through the brokenness with hope, with confidence. And, and so, yeah, I think it's the, it comes back to that who is God? I think that's the biggest question that we're ever going to answer. And it informs and influences how we Face life's difficulties, and yeah, I've had beautiful examples of people model that to me. The, the the woman who discipled me, or is still part of my life, and I remember learning from her as a collegiate. Uh, and she is a beautiful woman of faith, but she she had been widowed twice. She wow. when she was teaching me the Bible, Man. Wow. you know. So I mean, the person who has influenced my life about, I mean street cred to talk to me about faith when her life has been upheavaled, you know, and and the the unexpected happened. And I have this, again, multi-generational, like watching somebody live out their faith in spite of difficulty, in spite of these circumstances or within the messiness. It encouraged me to not be afraid of it.
1: Wow. And what a strange thing for college Mm -hmm. students to be in a generation who values authenticity more than anything— Mm -hmm. But the only way to get authenticity is to be messy. And then everything about the mediums that we inhabit is there's no mess. It's all filtered. And so there's that that constant tension for college students of I want to be authentic so desperately, but Mm -hmm. every medium I'm a part of actually tells me not to be authentic or to act like I'm being authentic with a filter, right? To act like I'm being authentic. And there's a messiness that Mm -hmm. if you've never been in it, actually is scary to even it think about venturing into it yep. because I've never been that messy with people. So how can I know I'll come out on the other side mm-hmm. with any – with uh, unscathed in a sense?
0: Yeah. I – we're talking about messiness. <laughs> I mean, I'm 27 years old and I, I, I remember just growing up always thinking about all the things. I mean – I'm originally from New Orleans, and we were in Hurricane Katrina. Uh, we were trapped for four days. I mean, my mom's mm-hmm. been through a lot. My family's been through a lot. I've, been, I've, I've seen a lot of really hard things. And what we're talking about is so important for so many reasons. I think one of the reasons it's so important for me, for us to talk about, is because, uh, man, this is part of my story. This is a huge part of my story. I was officially diagnosed with general anxiety disorder in 2018 before I moved here. And before that, I had gone to nearly three years of counseling. So I remember, actually, it was a woman that I worked with in a church in Lubbock uh, before I moved to Austin. I remember uh, when I was a resident, uh, it was my first semester, I was having a terrible time, just terrible. (laughs) And I remember talking to her, she she asked, Hey, how's my family doing? How am I doing? And I remember telling her just a little bit of my story. And she mm-hmm. asked me this question, Do you know what trauma is? And I was like, Head trauma? Like concussions? <laughs> I'm sure I've had a few of those playing football growing up, but and and she was like, No. And she she kind of explained trauma to me. And then also mm-hmm. Was like, hey, I feel like I see some of these things in you, and I mm-hmm. think you should go to counseling. So that was kind of my journey initially with trying to figure out what was going on. I knew I was always anxious and stuff, but I remember hearing so many things mm-hmm. about the Bible and reading the Bible and seeing things like Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. Mm-hmm. And during that season, I just felt in so many ways disobedient as I was trying to figure out this mm-hmm. journey right. about mental health and how it impacted me. And despite my Mm -hmm. obedience to the Bible, uh, Mm -hmm. prayer, and community, I still felt super anxious and I felt very disobedient. So this is a question I have for you, Shanda. Mm -hmm. Is my anxiety my fault?
2: Yeah, Mitchell, it's a great question. and Thank you for being... So honest and vulnerable, Uh, I know there's probably a lot of people uh, that are resonating with what you're saying, and and I just want to lead with with compassion, Mm. answering this question, because it's very complex, and ultimately it depends. There's a lot of factors, a lot of variables. That's why everybody's story is so significant. Mm. Uh, We can't take one um, detail and apply it to every circumstance. We've got to slow down. And and really get to know the person, get to know the story, get to know the circumstances, uh, right? And trauma is a very real element Mm. that kind of changes the lay of the land uh, on some of our experience uh, of emotions and thoughts and how we ultimately process information. That we're all processing information all the time. God has just given us this brain that is effective and our brain is keeping us safe. You know, Mm -hmm. its it's main job is to kind of filter out information and help us stay alive. You know, we're not thinking about breathing. (laughs) We're not thinking about a lot of things. It's kind of fascinating how God has wired our brains. But when we go through an experience that is very disruptive, mm-hmm. and ultimately, there's fear that we encounter, kind of our worst case scenario might come true for some people, that then it kind of sends our, our inner world into this feedback loop of how to avoid that ever happening again. And, and we can get stuck in, the, in this trauma loop uh, of staying safe and a hyper-vigilant, um, uh, you know, vigilance is good, but hyper-vigilance mm-hmm. is where it's it kind of takes over and we're, we're filtering and, and avoiding and uh, kind of perceiving a threat at all times where that ultimately may not be true and some people who haven't been through certain types of trauma have an easier time kind of discerning right okay this i feel uncomfortable but but i'm really okay people who have a history of trauma that feeling has such a strong association with real pain and fear Mm -hmm. and and something very difficult happening, that when that kind of alarm bell goes off, the system just fires up as, like, it's not just the smoke detector going off and there's toast burning, but, like, the house is on fire. And there's kind of an instinct that can become very habituated uh, that is really hard to understand because it's so under the surface, it's kind of subconscious, it's just this mechanism that comes to try to keep us safe. But it ultimately works against us over time if we're not able to kind of really untangle the trauma so that it doesn't get projected onto everything that's uncomfortable and kind of elicits that fear indicator, you Mm -hmm. know, because it can just kind of get very confused. Yeah. And so when it comes to is anxiety my fault? Right. We've got to learn how to like slow down without jumping to conclusions, like masty, making these hasty evaluations or determining outcomes based on these – you know, implicit responses that we have mm-hmm. to slow down. And 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 I think we need to do that with one another and we need to do that with ourselves so that can, we can really try to figure out what's going on, right? Because if somebody is an unrepentant sin, if they are walking contrary to the wisdom of God and mm-hmm. folly is their, you know, aim right now, then anxiety can be a gift. Anxiety can actually be something God might use to— invite us into repentance and faith, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So we can't take it off the table altogether, <laughs> right? I mean, we see mm-hmm. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood, like his physical body is responding to the stress, the tension, Yeah. like he is groaning while his, you know, friends are asleep, you know, and he's asking God, take the cup. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is there another way? And yet, in the he just models so beautifully for us that even in the midst of like our, our bodies responding to fear, which is going to happen at mm-hmm. times that we can walk through that that the feeling of anxiety is not our fault all the time right it's what we do with that
1: yeah
2: it, it's the meaning we make out of it it's that that's where we have opportunity to actually walk with god through it which is what jesus modeled so beautifully mm. But it's uncomfortable. It's yeah. challenging, um, and and again with the compassion, I'm like the angels that ministered Jesus in the garden. Like there is, there is hope for those that in the messiness, in the yeah. difficulty, in the pain, it, it, it is not it, it, in Lamentations three. God doesn't afflict from His heart, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, it's not. It, he doesn't just make the pain, you know, come that we would experience these hardships. But He works for our good through the pain, mm-hmm. you know, that that is going to take us places where we may not be comfortable and we, we may not choose to go, but do we believe that God is capable of, of helping us learn beautiful things and grow and change in the midst of that?
1: Well, so often isn't it a differentiation between weakness and sin, Yeah. right? There's weakness is limitation, sin is rebellion, yep. right? That's and it. and, and mm-hmm. one of the passages that I've thought about a ton when it comes to just how do, you obey, how do you obey God when you're mm-hmm. struggling mm-hmm. is the fact that Jesus couldn't carry his own cross. Mm-hmm. So this is his, his glorious moment yeah. mm-hmm. where this is the pinnacle of his love for his mm-hmm. people. And he is so weak, he is unable Stephen to carry him. his yeah. own cross to his own crucifixion, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, Jesus doesn't sin. So weakness is not a sin. The inability to carry something is not a sign of rebellion against God, mm-hmm. right? And I think so often for all of us, we we denote weakness with sin. Right. But I think for so for help, helping people even see in Jesus that weakness is limitation. Amen. And being yeah. able to recognize, no, weakness is a good thing because it helps me have to depend on other people, depend on God in mm-hmm. ways I wouldn't have to. Whereas mm-hmm. sin is rebellion where it's saying I don't want to listen to God. Yep. And I think for so many people who are struggling with anxiety, the ability mm-hmm. to, to recognize even feeble attempts at obedience are honored by God.
2: Amen. You know, yep. like
1: e- e- even small things, but we have the triumphalistic sort of, no, it should look like right. this. And I've I've thought so many times about Jesus, like Simon carrying his cross yeah. and him having to walk alongside of yeah. him, and him not feeling embarrassed by that. Yeah, I would my my pride would feel embarrassed that I couldn't fulfill the thing God called me to, the thing that He just prayed for. Take the cup away, yeah, and He said, No, not your will, but mine. But him embracing God's will meant him depending yeah. upon other people, even yeah. to the place where he was going to have. Um, his greatest act of love for us. So I think that's helped me even pro- like a biblical kind of framework to go for even for college students to to not feel guilty over weakness. Uh, Zach Eswine has this great line. He was like, you, you're never meant to repent of being weak. You're meant to repent of trying to be strong. Amen. You know, I don't have the trauma that you guys have. And so I've, I've had to learn how to see weakness I think when you've gone through trauma, it's actually yeah. you have, in a, a, some ways, a leg up to understand mm-hmm. limitations, right? Mm-hmm. Like you recognize, I can't pick this thing up. Yeah. And when you haven't gone through that, it actually takes different experiences yeah. to learn, oh, I'm doing the same thing just in different ways. Yeah. Um, and embracing weakness is like the, I think, the beginning of faith in so many ways.
2: I just want to add to that. I mean, the beauty of what Tyler just described is, you mm-hmm. know, th- that, the unhelpful narrative of if I only had more faith, mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel fill in the blank. And scripture is just so clear that we've, it, it, there are times, I mean, the command, mm-hmm. don't be afraid or fear not. It's the most repeated <laughs> phrase right. in the Bible mm-hmm. over 365 times. But the reality is there's also cast your cares on the Lord. And in Psalms, is like, when I am afraid, You know, mm-hmm. the Bible does not deny that we are going to experience fear. Right. We're going to experience anxiety. I mean, if you are alive and you are honest, you're going to be anxious in right. this broken world and and ultimately probably depressed at some point, too, because <laughs> things are, are hard and scary. And so it's not an absence of the anxiety that depicts faith. It, it's walking with God through it. it, it it's finding... The hope and the grace and, and the perseverance and endurance and taking that, I think, that perspective of, hey, I'm learning to trust God here. We're going into a new uncharted territory yeah. where I'm having to learn the same things, the ABCs and the one two threes about who is God, who am I, and how to reconcile in my heart that, that I am safe and, and I have refuge in him when the world is dangerous and the world is uncertain and I don't get to grasp and, and, and bring comfort yeah. that eases my soul. From these external realities or Mm -hmm. even from the internal realities. But how do I have that eternal hope that is actually guiding me forward and the grace to be sanctified, the grace to learn and to be weak?
0: That helps me so much, thinking of an eternal perspective. Because the Bible talks about our life as this moment, like this short amount of time, and then we have eternity. The Bible Mm -hmm. says that. Those who follow Jesus will actually live eternally with him and in his presence. And there's going to be no tears, no pain, no sorrows anymore. I think that's when I start to remember things like my identity. Wow, mm-hmm. I'm loved by God. He uh, Matthew 6 is just mm-hmm. a passage of scripture that I've committed to memorization mm, since screw. I was 19 years old. And... Jesus mm-hmm. says, look at the birds of the air. Yeah. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you mm-hmm. not of more value than they? And mm-hmm. when I think about the fact that my, my Savior, this Creator, came mm-hmm. and died for creation, and He's going to bring us home, and there's nothing that's going to stop that, and also I'm valued by Him mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that, that helps me in those mm-hmm. times where everything, where where I just feel like there's so many words Mm -hmm. in my head. It helps set my eyes on eternity. But if I'm honest, it it doesn't always work that clean Mm -hmm. for me. And so Mm -hmm. something I I struggle with, there's this idea of fear. Mm -hmm. And then there's anxiety. And obviously there's the clinical side of anxiety. Mm -hmm. How can I practically differentiate between those things?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, How I think about it, uh, is, you know, fear is a natural God-given response that we all have. It's a physiological, you know, there's a snake on the ground. That's going to cause me to have a physical reaction, hmm. you know, and that's a normal, it's even a healthy, it's part of what keeps us alive, you know. We feel that, uh, you know, when we stand on, on the side of the Grand Canyon, like we feel that in our physical body is yep. like, whoa, I'm, I'm vulnerable here you know and so anxiety is where we kind of take those fears that aren't necessarily real concentrated moments that are happening but they're the perceived possibilities hmm. and i think we toss those in our mind over and over of, of the what ifs yeah you know anxiety is the what if of the possible fear that could come and cause me harm and we all have those and we have to learn how to Embrace those, accept those, because what doesn't work is to say, "Stop that! Don't think about it." Mm. You know, um, you know, just to avoid it. Ultimately, that's just double down in the brain. And so we've got to learn to embrace and and accept these difficult ideas that come into our mind at times, the possible fears that are just perceived possibilities. And then we've got to learn how to interact with those ideas, you know, because. And I think an element of you talk about identity and, and, and culture right now is like, if I think it, it's who I am. If mm-hmm. I feel it, it's who I am, yeah. which I think is a very dangerous message because we all think and feel things that are for sure not at all uh, <laughs> true to who we are. Um, and, and we've got to be able to go, where'd that come from? And be able to kind of hold it and think about our thinking, think about our thoughts and interact with it in such a way to be like, no, that doesn't really fit. I'm going to let that go as quick as it came. It can be harder for people who've had traumatic histories to let that go, but they can learn how to do that, right? Um, And and so the anxiety is, it ultimately becomes habituated of how we deal with those intrusive unwanted thoughts, and uh, it's learning to not be afraid of them and not give them more power, right? We don't submit to the anxiety, we submit to Jesus, because the panic disorder— you know, is this other one where our physical bodies just get ramped up, um, and and sometimes it becomes very habituated. We we. We learn by repetition. Yeah. And if we are repeating the meaning we assign to our bodies, you know, tensing up like that and we're Mm -hmm. afraid of our physical experience, the brain just gets activated. It gets, you know, um, it catastrophizes instinctively as opposed to learning how to orient and discern and really kind of turn that prism a little bit and look at it from a different angle and then be able to process that information in a more helpful adaptive way. Yeah.
1: So would you say that the, the way to like process through all the different things that you feel is not to uh, avoid them, not to reject them, mm-hmm. but also not to submit to them? I need to at least mm-hmm. honor the thing that I feel, mm-hmm. but then I need to decipher what this is, yep. right? I need to have the actual process of going, I think this, I feel this, don't avoid it, don't run yep. away from it, but also I don't submit to it.
2: Right. I don't pretend it's not there, but it also doesn't have the ultimate power and authority to determine the outcome. Yeah, about who I am or what I do,
1: which which is where the word of God is so important. Because if you live yeah. in a culture that has no authority structure to interpret what you think and feel, mm-hmm. the yeah. only response is to submit to that think, that thinking and that feeling. Because I have nothing, I have no way to decipher what's true and what's mm-hmm. not. So our culture has tried the avoiding technique, mm-hmm. right? The, the generation before us. Whatever you think and feel, avoid it. Don't talk about it. Don't speak just about deny, it. Deny, dismiss. Deny, dismiss. Mm-hmm. But once that proved to not solve the problem, now we're on the flip side of that. Where we're like, well, that didn't work. So let's just submit to them and embrace them. And all my thinking and feeling that defines who I am. And, some, and the gospel provides this third way where you're mm-hmm. able to go, I can honor how I feel and embrace mm-hmm. how I feel and then not be defined by it. Because I actually have a, a word from God and a gospel of mm-hmm. grace right. where I can decipher through all the various things. That it guides me through it. And and a people and a, and a community that mm-hmm. I belong to that helps me interpret mm-hmm. all these different things. And it kind of showcases mm-hmm. Jesus always providing this different way than what we're used to, this way to be honest mm-hmm. and reject false things, to be honest and embrace mm-hmm. truth. And I think the way you're Processing through that, and even the physical body piece that you're talking about, mm-hmm. of the even recognizing we're we're meant to be um, embodied people, yeah. right? So the whole idea is that I'm not here to reject it like stoicism, as if it's yeah. a bad thing to feel things, right? right. Um, but that's where I think one of the things in your counseling that I've learned from you over the years is y- your ability to help all of us think through the again the layers of it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you said it was it was the um, mm-hmm. The body is a factor, mm-hmm. but the heart is deterministic. I saw it out there on the on the sheet and I was like, that mm-hmm. is the best thing I've ever read. So mm-hmm. I, I just think that that's a helpful thing for, mm-hmm. for even college students to think through who are listening to this is your body is a factor. Your mm-hmm. story is a factor. All these things are really, really important to who you are, but your heart is deterministic in how mm-hmm. those things are interpreted, yeah. how they're affected. And the, mm-hmm. honestly, the thing you've hit again and again is you can't do any of these things alone. Mm-hmm. You actually have no mm-hmm. ability to mm-hmm. parse through all the different things right. on your own. Because honestly, when you live in them, it's hard to recognize what's even affecting you. It's like being in a right. dark room and like, I have no idea what's affecting me, who's here, yeah. right? Like, I'm not sure what, what this is, right? Um, and so I think that's yeah. where you, you've done such a helpful job over the years. I've gotten the benefit of being in counseling sessions with you, with other people, mm-hmm. and watching you help people parse through that. right? When, yeah. you, when you can't see clearly, you're like, I'm, I'll just mm-hmm. give up. Yeah. But there's this way where like, even if I don't know the outcomes, I know there's a way forward, And that there's hope in that, and I think Jesus gives uniquely.
0: Shanda, in my extensive research of all of the (laughs) panel discussions and all of the things we've had you on uh, for the Austin Stone, there's something that you said that really stood Mm -hmm. out to me. And you said this quote in a focus event that we did. You say that the body is a factor and the heart is deterministic. Can you explain what that means?
2: Mitchell, well, there. this has been so helpful for me, I mean, in my own life personally, but I also—this is how I conceptualize the human condition. And I'll give just a, a broad overview real quick and kind of speak to the the biology and physiology. The, the the heart is this causal core. It's right out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, you can praise the Lord with your lips, but your heart can be far from Him. Uh, this this heart, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. This, this soul that we were created to worship— you know, it is this inner man that is ultimately uh, that God determines who we are. He is the creator. We are created in his it, image. Yeah. We are—we <clears throat> bear his image. We reflect his glory, and that's our purpose. Like this identity, who is God and who I am, I, is, is this fixed reality to submit ourselves to his authority. We are physically embodied. Our bodies matter. Hormones matter. Uh, sleep matters. Diet matters. Caffeine matters. You know, if you have cancer or allergies or a sprained ankle, mm-hmm. our bodies are very significant in, in how we experience yeah. life day to day. But we would say it doesn't have the ultimate determining factor on that I can still worship God if I have cancer. I can still worship God if I have anxiety. I can still worship God if I have allergies uh, or if I didn't get a good night's sleep. It, it, those th- The body sometimes can make it hard. Mm. to do that, and it presses in. Those challenges are there, but it's not my determining reality. And we live in a psychologized culture where in in a lot of the secular, even counseling theories, the body is ultimate, and Mm. everything is biological uh, or even neurological. And and we don't deny or dismiss that. That's what some unhelpful Christian perspective has done historically. We want to hold that, again, beautiful tension (laughs) that the body is real it matters we want to pay attention to it medical history you know mental health history what's happening in, in the physical body how much caffeine are you drinking how much are you sleeping you know are you watching horror movies before you go to bed maybe that's why you're having nightmares it's mm-hmm. you know the body is is something that we always want to recognize as influential but that the soul and this heart uh, core of man is is what's ultimately determined and set fixed by god in the same way that relationships were socially embedded as well. Uh, our relationships, our culture, our family of origin, it matters. It's important. It's part of our story, but it doesn't determine the outcome of who I am. God does that in the midst of whatever context I'm navigating. And then there's a spiritual battle. We're spiritually embattled. You know, We recognize there's an enemy. We We don't give him too much power, mm-hmm. but we don't Thank deny you. that he's Active yeah. in there, but God is reigning and ruling over all of that. God is over the spiritual battle. God is over my social, relational, cultural realities. God is over my physical body. He knows every cell, every hair on my head, and God is the one who knit me together in my mother's womb. This this core reality of the inner man of my soul, you know, heart, mind, inner being, uh, mm-hmm. and that that's the the inner man is is ultimately. Uh, renewed day by day, even though outwardly we're wasting away. And so paying attention to that inner world and letting that be, again, what I'm constantly trying to get aligned, you know, so where yeah. where there's, uh, you know, rem- I'm remembering who I am and who is God so I can navigate this physical world and my relationships and this challenge of a broken world that we live in.
1: That is so good. I, I'm really curious what you would say, because that framework is incredible. What would you say to a college student who says, okay, I, I, I'm understanding all that. This is the first time I've heard all that. But their question is, what do I do next, mm-hmm. right? I'm anxious and I'm fearful mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. get the framework of what you're saying. But what's my next step? Like, do I just go through each consistent circle and start categorizing everything? What do I do today?
2: One thing that I find that I repeat often is, you know, normalize your experience. Recognize why it makes sense that you're feeling a lot of these things from any one of those mm-hmm. you know realities or multiple that are all playing together at one time and the goal isn't to understand everything right searching for understanding at at all costs we're we're going to have mysteries that we mm. don't understand, and that is true about our physical bodies. That's true about often many of our relationships, yeah. and it's definitely true about our spiritual life and, and understanding God. They're, His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So I think normalizing instead of moralizing. That's
0: good. You know, yeah.
2: don't make it a moral issue right then unless right. there is some sure. obvious situation. Yeah. I hear more than anything— From you know the collegiate generation of, you know it's like I'm broken. Like there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Uh, You know, and we live in a world where a lot of what is communicated there's just overstimulation and comparison and judgment and hyperbolic language everywhere. It's exaggerated. How to like slow that down and calm that down and really anchor them. And hey, we don't have all the answers, but. It makes sense why we're here and we're going to move forward slowly over time. And I think slowing it down so that they don't have, again, the unrealistic expectation that, right. it, you know, that even a counselor or, or that God is even wanting to just snap the finger and yeah. make it all go away. You know, it's like let's slow down and, and learn from this experience. And rather than this enemy that you're trying to conquer, like what, are, what, what is this anxiety trying to teach me? you know what 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 is what is god revealing what's being exposed in this time and how can i be a curious observer about yeah. what's coming up and not be so fixated or that the priority is to make it go away but to actually linger a little while with jesus and there's got to be some anchoring and uh, to trust the lord sure. but learning to slow down and not try to just fix the circumstances right. but allow our us to be transformed, right? Yeah. To be renewed. To that—that we want to be changed from one degree of glory to the next. Don't change God to fit your experience. Yeah. But slow down long enough and let God be fixed and, and wrestle with Him, lament with Him, yeah. get angry at Him. If you He can handle mm-hmm. your emotions, yep. you don't have to be afraid of your emotions. They're indicators. They're opportunities. They're invitations to draw you into fellowship with God.
1: One thing I've heard you say to people is oh, life is going to get much harder than this. Mm -hmm. You're right. And it's going to get harder than this. Mm -hmm. So if you make it about fixing you immediately, Mm -hmm. then you'll always be discouraged because Mm -hmm. why is Mm -hmm. God fixing me immediately? But if you make it about, I'm here to know and worship God, and Mm -hmm. that's going to be, twists and turns and messy and mystery mm-hmm. but if it's about knowing him then there's actually hope in the midst yeah. of that because he'll fix me as he determines but right. that can't be my goal necessarily mm-hmm. is to make a new and better version of me because that me is not coming to a resurrection anyway so I'll always be disappointed here right. but if you make it about relationship with him then you can actually navigate all the complexity and there's all the ongoing face right.
2: if, if the belief that there is something redemptive happening right. even when I can't see it yeah and there's that I, the scripture is like, strengthen me in my inner being, yeah. you know, enlighten the eyes of my heart. It's like, what's happening internally here right. um, that is actually for my good or growing me, teaching me how to trust God in these new ways, but also permission and understanding as to why that's really hard, that we don't have to fake it till we make it. We don't have to grit it, you know, grin and bear it and pretend that it's a pleasant experience. Sometimes yeah. it, it's difficult to walk by faith. You yeah. know, because sometimes what we see is really difficult, really overwhelming.
0: I hear that and I'm like, man, that sounds really great. And then mm-hmm. I remember my experiences, maybe mm-hmm. with community or with church mm-hmm. leaders, and even me being on the other side of that, where, man, I feel like there's been times where people have tried to talk to me about their anxiety. And my first response, whether it's nonverbal or verbal, is to kind of, just be like, okay, like, let's figure out a way to fix it. And I know so many college students have stories like that. And what advice would you give church leaders and Christians in helping their friends mm-hmm. or congregation, men and women who are struggling with this? What, what advice would you give them on how to help them handle their anxiety?
2: Yeah. Well, I, I think first, it's such an honor for someone to share their pain with you, and so I think it, it's just valuing the the person and the story that God is writing in their life, okay. and being willing to just see the glory of God, you know, in the messy and and and, and slow down, uh, be willing to let it take time. Um, it's uncomfortable. It's inconvenient, and that's what love looks like. Mm-hmm. You know that that's that's what entering in to the valley with somebody looks like. And so I, I think it is just being willing like Job's friends to sit in the ashes, to sit in the darkness, to learn and listen and really value the gift of being able to know that person's story and that they are trusting you in a way that may be incredibly difficult for them to do yeah. and to not rush past that or take that for granted But to even just say, hey, it means a lot that you would share. Uh, I want to circle back around to this, you know. I'd love to have you in my home, Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. try to figure out how to personalize that and not draw conclusions too quickly and not, Mm -hmm. you know, try to do the Bible Band-Aid, slap a verse on it, pray more or, you know, but just enter in and and ultimately even walk alongside. It's like, encourage one another daily as long as it is today. Mm -hmm. It's like, we need encouragement and especially when we're going through hard things. And I do think that there is, you know, just this blanket, you know, perspective in our society right now that makes you think that there should be a version of life that you could have. And if you're struggling, you're doing something wrong or God is holding out on you.
1: Well, in so many ways, you, you, you can't mass produce care. You can't. And, and I think it. that's yeah. what we, we want to do is you want to find a way to do it mm-hmm. faster Mm-hmm. and more broad make it efficient and make it efficient mm-hmm. and i think that's the hardest part of, for everybody is to mm-hmm. go you actually can't care for as many people as you maybe you'd like mm-hmm. right you'd like to care for yeah. way more people in the, in your best moments and in your worst moments you'd like for every care situation to go quicker mm-hmm. and, and in again in the for college students who are the whole point is to get as many likes and as many posts mm-hmm. and as many whatever you can get as possible yeah. And care is the inverse of that. Mm -hmm. The only way to actually have it effectively done is to go slower with less Mm -hmm. people who Mm -hmm. actually know you well enough to care for you.
2: Well, and just personalizing too, you know. I know there's, um, the counseling relationship is, is a little one-sided, right? There's, um, a purpose of somebody coming in and it's a different type of relationship, but there is something beautiful and that's where the pastoral, the friendship, the life outside of a counseling room is, you know, really being able to share your, your own story and say, gosh, I remember walking through a time that was really scary for me, um, and and i'm sorry you're there cuz i know it's uncomfortable it's hard mm-hmm. but i yeah not pretending like you've got it all together or yeah. that gosh if you just loved god like i love god you wouldn't struggle like that you know which no. I, nobody ever says that implicitly but sometimes it can come across that way and just to help every hearer interpret the compassion and the generosity of Yeah, this is part of the Christian life. This is part of living Mm -hmm. in a broken world, and it's going to hit everybody at different times, different ways, and that's where we've got to take the time to kind of learn those specific stories, right, that have some trauma in the background or, um, you know, have some really current difficulties that are happening.
0: What's so powerful about what you just said is that I can even see in my own story where I felt like I've gotten closer to people, even if I don't personally know them, when they start talking about their own stories. Oh, yeah. Especially when it comes to dealing with anxiety or depression and stuff like that. And we had a student leader last year, um, and she just graduated. But I remember when I first got introduced to our student leaders here, when I first moved here, I just talked a little bit about my story, not through, you know, I struggle with anxiety. I'm actually on medicine for this. And I just kind of said that real quick, Mm -hmm. made it a part of that story. And I remember one of uh, these leaders came up to me afterwards, and she was like, hey, I've never actually talked about this with a church leader. And I was wondering if like, maybe we could go off to the side and just chat about it for a bit. And just talking about how she wanted to take steps to even talk to her family about this, mm-hmm. but we we want to make a culture in our church and in our ministry for college students that where where you can be honest about this stuff and it's not ta- it's not taboo to talk about and yeah. it's okay and I think that that's so huge with community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we want to try to get the easy fix. We want to put a Bible band aid on it, but. Change is actually slower. Care is actually slower. And what would you say to a community of people? Mm -hmm. Like how can maybe we as a church, maybe a small group full of college students, how can they actually walk that road together?
2: Yeah. Well, I think we've got to value the messiness of that, right? We've got to recognize that there is beautiful opportunities to care for one another within the brokenness. you know, And that's the beauty of community that generally speaking, we're all kind of going through different things at different times. Like we, we cycle in and out of our life circumstances and this group of, of people that get to support and encourage and remind us, help us remember, and then carry our burdens like Jesus does. And again, they're not the savior. We don't want to look to people and community yeah. to fix it, but that we don't have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. that we have the nearness and the presence of God, but we also have his manifestation of his love and power through people to absorb as much as it's humanly possible. You know, yeah. it's like in the times of my life, I've been through something that, that rocked my world and turned it upside down where someone else's choices negatively affected my life in a severe way. And I say there were some things that only God and I could do. But I say I look back to the community with the church, with the elders, as long as uh, as well as leaders and my friends, and and they humanly absorbed as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like they did what was possible in the human realm, and then I was left to have to wrestle out with God that inner conflict, where I'm having to reconcile His goodness, His love, His glory when He is allowing these awful and tragic things to happen. In my life. And I loved that there were people that, you know, just allowed me to be sad (laughs) uh, because I am normally a pretty happy person, but I was really sad and I was depressed and life was really hard. And they accepted me in that space and then, you know, carried me and served me and loved me and allowed me to just kind of, whether it's laugh, watch a movie, or go for a walk, I didn't have to talk about it all the time because. Mm That's not always helpful, but when I wanted to talk about it, somebody was willing to listen. You know, and it was over time. God did heal. God did the work.
1: What would you guys tell college students to say, here are practical things to start building towards a community that can be that kind of safe place? Because you guys know this. Communities don't start as safe places typically. You don't go into a a Zoom call (laughs) and say, hey, here's my deepest, darkest sin and secret ever, right? So what would you guys tell college Mm -hmm. students, hey, here are the things you need to do now Mm -hmm. so that later you can have the kind of community that you desperately want?
0: Man, faith. Is so important. Hebrews 11 says that faith is the substance of hope, the evidence Mm -hmm. of things not seen. I remember that's the first verse I ever memorized once I became a Christian. And the reason why I needed that, I needed that definition from the Bible of what faith was because there were so many steps that I was taking that were just steps in the dark, and especially connecting to community. Yeah. Like finding one friend and actually making time in my schedule to hang out with them or reaching out to them was so important. It was a step of faith. Finding a church was a step of faith just because there's, I I think there's church hurt somewhere in everyone's story if we were to really get to the bottom of it. But uh, there's definitely some church hurt in in my story and in my past that I experienced. But it's even taking that step of faith of, man, what would it look like to actually belong to people Something super incredible that Tyler said the other day when we, when when he was preaching at our college night of worship, was that we we need to belong to people. That's what makes us human. Um, that's mm-hmm. something that we all have in common. Um, and I just thought, I'm in a community. I help our college students get in the community and form community, but. In those times where I just had no one, where nobody truly knew Mm -hmm. the real me. Yeah. First off, it was usually on me because I I, just—I was so scared to take that next step. Yeah, Uh, Faith, maybe connecting with a friend or connecting to a church, filling out that form. I don't know. And thinking (laughs) out those ways, I'm like, we tell people to fill out this form, and I'm like, that's the most impersonal thing (laughs) I've ever done. But it it takes a step of faith to do that. So even just— Trusting in God in the type of way to where maybe, like, I don't feel like doing this, everything against me, yeah, Mm -hmm. like, is against doing this, but taking Mm -hmm. that step of faith and, like, but this is what God calls me to. Mm -hmm. He says in his word that we're better together, yeah. Um, I'm not meant to be alone in living this life, it's a verse for (laughs) all of life and all of community, whether you're single or not. So I'd say take that first step. Maybe it's reaching mm-hmm. out to a friend that you know is Christian and is plugged mm-hmm. into a community of people. Mm-hmm. And will be hurt there. Mm-hmm. But you you have a God who is faithful even when we're faithless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's who we serve.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I'd, I'd say, you know, when I think back to collegiate times, I mean— oftentimes is defined by a lot of fun, a lot of cool memories, yep. a lot of yep. <laughs> crazy, because you have energy and time and uh, <laughs> a lot of cool things can happen. <laughs> but also, I think what makes Christian Philip distinctly Christian is talking about Jesus yeah. and and really yeah, what does it look like to bring the gospel into our conversations? Uh, I feel like sometimes we can, you know, feel like we'd be too nerdy to do that Mm. or too (laughs) hyper-spiritual, you know, Um, and and not to over-spiritualize or to to make it at at all, you know, just, again, to check a box off a list by any means, but, but to really bring the gospel into our conversations. I feel like sometimes Christians can hang out and not talk about Jesus at all. Yep. And again, not saying you have to do it 100% sure. of the time, mm-hmm. but what makes Christian fellowship Christian is Christ Jesus, Come and on. and really bringing the hope and and normalizing, you know, like how can how can we pray for one another? Mm-hmm. Like where are you struggling? Uh, just assuming that like 100% of the people in there are struggling in some way, mm-hmm. and just really offering encouragement or a, a place that it's normal to acknowledge that because I do feel like we try to put these, you know, our best foot forward and try to pretend Jesus came for the sick, he came for the weak, he came for the needy, and that we can bring it there and really believe that Jesus is the one mm-hmm. to, to meet that need, but but to encourage one another, spur each other on towards love and good deeds, remind each other of that hope that won't fail, uh, and and really, yeah order our fellowship and ultimately our lives around around him
1: that's so that's that's such a helpful kind of Mm -hmm. thing for people to think about the one thing i would say is just if if everyone's initiating Mm -hmm. interacting then we'd all hang out with each other Mm -hmm. but i think if everyone in a community was known as an initiator then we'd all have community. Yep. It's because no one wants to be the initiator of that. Like what if all of us initiated community? We'd all have a lot more community. But it's right. because we're so scared yeah. to initiate, mm-hmm. we just can't bring ourselves to do it. So I, I mean, that'd be a mm-hmm. practical thing that I would ask college students to do is mm-hmm. the, the communities that are best is when there's not the one initiator who if they don't text, then no one else is going to actually organize anything. Yeah. If everybody did that, There'd be so much more friendship, but mm-hmm. it's because we all want to feel pursued and not actually pursue other people that we tend to kind of pull away. Isn't yep. yeah. it funny? It's never been easier to organize something, and yet it happens a le- even less. Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I even think about that in a way of initiating talking about some of these things. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I know that if we had communities that actually initiated, man, I'm gonna reach out and I'm gonna ask for prayer because this is really hard is and hard. I'm struggling mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Yep. I think more people would do it. Yep. Mm-hmm and wow those go hand in hand and i'm convicted myself because i'm like man i i just only text maybe certain people about these mm-hmm. things but how am i even modeling it for our college students for my community that i'm in for the people who are mm-hmm. maybe following me um i've have, i've have one more thing that i maybe want to hit on yeah. before we close out this month is suicide mm-hmm. awareness month mm-hmm. and man this is this is just a really big thing happening in young adult communities, especially for uh, college students listening right now or mm-hmm. in Generation Z. And suicide is the second leading cause of death in the world for those ages 15 to 24. Yeah. And there's so many statistics I can just kind of sound off. And uh, this this is a big part of my story. This mm-hmm. is how I actually started considering what it look like to follow Jesus because I struggled with suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. And, and so talking about suicide for a little bit, uh, I think would be important because mm-hmm. I'm sure that either somebody knows someone who struggles with this, sadly, or maybe maybe someone who's actually committed it, or a student listening right now may actually be thinking about it. So what would you say to those students, Shanda, who Mm. who are maybe struggling with that mentally? That maybe anxiety, all of these thoughts, because I've been there, Mm -hmm. they're just too much.
2: Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing that up. I think it's a very uh, relevant conversation that should be had. And oftentimes the anxiety that builds over time can result in Again, this is too much. Mm-hmm. I don't see a way out. Uh, I'm overwhelmed to despair. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about suicide. We're talking about despair. Um which is, you know, uh, one of the emotions that I think we can find ourselves navigating uh, in the midst of, uh, again, compounding elements of potentially isolation or some severe disappointment and, and those thoughts that do s- tend to catastrophize and avalanche and grow and we just get buried under them and feel helpless, feel mm-hmm. hopeless, feel uh, like the path forward is just too hard. And so my heart is so tender towards mm. towards that. Uh, I do personally have a family member that took their own life uh, when I was uh, younger and walked through mm. that with with my family. And so just have a, a lot of personal emotions around that uh, to love somebody who could come to that place and, and make those types of decisions or even contemplate them because it's scary. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying. And so I just recognize that anybody there is probably very scared. Yeah. And and I I just would hope that there are people in their lives that they could ask for help that um, would be kind and generous, patient, um, and come alongside them. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because sometimes what we do know is to talk about suicide does not increase the likelihood that they will carry it out. Uh, To talk about it is actually a more helpful way to help decrease that overwhelming spiral of thought that there's no possible way forward. Mm -hmm. Um, So to – I pray that there is somebody that they would trust or that they would seek help, whether that's a suicide hotline or a counselor or a pastor. Um, But I would just encourage anybody to not – stay in that isolated place mm-hmm. that there is help and that there is hope but we do find ourselves in situations where at least we can't see that hope you mm-hmm. know and i think that's where we do need someone else to come alongside us and and encourage us and even maybe take those steps with us yeah. uh, to move us forward to begin to see that glimmer of hope that possibility and that outcome and again it, it's it's hard to you know you, you don't learn how to swim when you're in the deep end of the Ocean, hmm. you know, it's like sometimes we just need rescue. We need yeah. someone to come along where medication could be helpful, where again, certain types of support groups can be helpful, to where we're not just going to, you know, teach someone to swim when they're in, yeah. in the stormy, you know, Atlantic. It, yeah. it, it's like, let's bring you to shore where there's yeah. still, you know, uh, some uncomfortable realities, but where you feel like your feet uh, can touch solid ground again.
1: When so. having people speak into it, it's mm-hmm. so important i remember when my fall mm-hmm. semester of my sophomore year mm-hmm. i was really depressed and i had a lot of self-loathing i remember i i I'd never mm-hmm. had suicidal thoughts before and i remember i remember the i can remember vividly i was in my friend's dorm room and i was sitting there and the thought of suicide entered my mind mm-hmm. and i remember thinking it and f- terrifying, and terrifying. Mm-hmm. like cuz you're cuz it's so unnerving to have that mm-hmm. thought of like what if i just ended it and at the time, I don't know if I knew how to talk about it. I didn't know how to think about it because there were a lot of factors that got me there, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to my roommate about it just because we had already had a, the, the community piece. We already had a safe mm-hmm. place where we could have those kind of conversations. And I'm so happy that I brought him into that, mm-hmm. And especially for for me, like wanting to present myself as strong to my friends mm-hmm. and to have that moment of having to recognize, like, I'm so weak that I want to have – It's one thing to feel weak. Another thing to say, I want to be done. And I remember the fear that crept over me when that happened and finally finally talking about it. It was that threshold moment of Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about this. I'm scared to talk about this. But it feels like if I don't, I don't – I'm even – At that moment, thank God, I was able to realize I'm scared of what happens if I don't talk about it. Mm. It's actually I should be more scared of not talking about it than talking about it. Um, But I know for me that was a massive sort of Mm -hmm. step to get me out of that because I didn't really believe in grace. I didn't get God's love for me. I actually read uh, Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning is what got me out of it Mm. because it was just that idea. When you're that Mm -hmm. weak and vulnerable, seeing Jesus as tender and kind. So I think if someone's listening to that, I think having been there— The give, bringing people into it is is the like you said. If you're out in the you want to be rescued, yeah. I just need help. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to process it. Yeah, and you don't have to. And I was thinking, it was two 19 year old guys talking. Neither yeah. one of us had any training. Neither one of mm-hmm. us knew what to do. But even bringing it out to let the mm-hmm. the the darkness of that sea light yeah. was yeah. helpful in that process yeah. of God bringing me out of that season. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, man, Tyler, thank you so much for just even opening up about that story because I think. Sometimes we see church leaders yeah. and we think that they don't struggle, yeah. uh, that they don't have depression or anxiety. Or even, Shanda, for you mm-hmm. being a counselor, like we, we think that you guys don't have anxiety or depression mm-hmm. or struggle with those things. So, so if you're listening, what, what I want you to know is that Jesus kicks off the Beatitudes saying that blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm-hmm for they shall inherit the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And it's not saying blessed are the really strong and the people who can do things themselves and get stuff done. But it's really when you come to the end of yourself. And that's who Jesus Mm -hmm. is here for. Jesus is here for your brokenness. Mm -hmm. Jesus is here for your messiness and weakness. Mm -hmm. And as a church, we want to be a support to you. Um, so so if this is something that you're struggling with, or if you have further questions, you can go ahead and email, and this will be in the show notes, email college at austinstone.org. And man, we would love uh, to serve you, um, answer your questions, um, and we can send those uh, to any of our elders ways or uh, Shanda's ways. And also we have our counseling center, the Austin <laughs> Stone Counseling Center. So if you're in Austin. Shanda, what would be an easy way for someone to get connected to the counseling center at the Austin Center? And why is counseling important?
2: Oh, man. Well, I I happen to think that we can all benefit from counseling, and I continue to seek it myself and have enjoyed and benefited from counsel in my life because we all need that objective space to to work through our stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But info at austinstonecounseling.org. This email, you can send an inquiry and we'll help you get connected. We've got five different counseling offices and over mm-hmm. 30 counselors that are very much uh, equipped and educated in the science and psychology that's relevant for today, but also just foundationally grounded in the Word of God and a Christian worldview that is, we're going to hold those tensions of, of operate from a biblical construct. But Take into consideration all the realities that are important uh, that affect people uh, yeah. uh, from psychology and science. So, um, yeah, I, if it could be a help to you, please let us know, and we'll do everything we can to care for you. Most of our sessions That's right cool. now are are virtual mm-hmm. um, due to COVID, but um, but we do look forward to the day where we could be back in person with people because I know that is a there's nothing like being face-to-face with somebody oh, yeah. when you're talking about your, your pain. Uh, but we will utilize the virtual spaces that God has allowed, and the Spirit can do beautiful things in that space as well.
0: So great. Uh, something else I wanted to make sure you guys had access to was the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. That's going to be in our show notes as well, but the number is 1-800-273-8255. If you need Anyone, please go ahead, call that number, email us at college at AustinStone.org. And we would love to hear from you. We would love to walk with you. This is what the church is for. This is what we're about. And Shanda, thank
1: you so much. Thank you.
2: Oh, man. For just
1: hanging out. I think I owe you money after that because that was incredible.
2: Well, I am just honored. Uh, I have a huge heart for the collegiate population. I'm so excited for those who are listening and just encourage you to. Not grow weary in doing good. Life is challenging. I had one of my mentors would tell me, life is hard. God is good. Stay in the Word. Mm. Um, we got to get grounded <laughs> in the truth that does help us because li- life is hard. God is good all the time. But we need His wisdom, His Word to help us navigate it and we need one another. So I do hope this encourages some people yeah. and what an honor to be in this first green room experience. Oh yeah, uh, go. <laughs> so I, I look forward to many more.
0: Awesome, well thank you Shanda and everyone we'll see you later. Thank you for being our guest in the green room. Remember, if you want more vulnerable conversations then share, like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at college underscore Austin Stone. See you next time.